Hello everyone, welcome back to Holding Fast to Faith. I'm your host, Brett Hill, and today we're just going to pick up right where we left off in Revelation chapter 1, pick up in Revelation chapter 2. The title of the message today is Jesus Talks with the Churches. I'm in the King James Version today, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 2, and if you don't have your Bibles, pause the podcast, go get your Bible, come back and join us. Revelation chapter 2, I'm preaching out of the King James Version today. Starting with verse 1, unto the angel, and we established in the last episode that he's talking to the pastors of the church, and if you if you didn't hear Revelation chapter 1, John the author and the established church, go back and listen to that episode before you listen to this one, and it will help you understand this one better. So uh, picking up again here in verse, verse 1, Revelation chapter 2, unto the angel, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I want you to note that John was an elder in this church and Timothy was the one who was pastoring or preaching at this church. So Jesus is starting his address to Ephesus, the church that John had attended. He's saying, he that holds the seven stars in his right hand. He's reminding John, the very first thing that I showed you of myself, I was holding the seven pastors in my hand and I was standing in the middle of the candlesticks. This is the first sign John had saw when he was on the Isle of Patmos when he turned around to see the voice. In verse 2, Jesus says, I, which Jesus, I know the works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried or, or tested them which say they are apostles and are not and have found them to be liars and has borne and had patience. And for my name's sake, you have labored and worked with my works. You've done the things that I've asked you to do according to what I want you to be doing and you've not fainted. So he's really commending this church right now, saying you've done really good about how you've handled things thus far, but verse 4 starts out with that word nevertheless, which really means but. Jesus says, I've got somewhat against you because you have left your first love. And that word love right there is the same word that means agape. It's Strong's G25, and it is a feast of charity. It's just overwhelmed with having love and care for other people. And love is what feeds you and drives you. This is what Jesus wanted you to have. When you fell in love with him, when you first met him and saw the love that he had for you and the love you had for him and how you began to know him and you, you couldn't go a day without him, he is telling you right here, he's telling John, that uh, this church has lo- has left their first love. They they forgot who I was and don't don't really carry on their love like they used to. So let me ask you a question: What drew you to Jesus? What what did you first love about Jesus when you first fell in love with Him? When you first came to know Jesus Christ, what about Him drove your passion to love Him? That's what Jesus is saying right here. You have lost your first love, and the the church at Ephesus had focused hard on on who could come to church and who couldn't come to church, and those who claimed to be Christians and those who weren't, and those who claimed to be apostles but they had false doctrine, and all this was good, but it had caused them to fall from making Jesus the center of the church, and they got caught up in controlling the church and dictating uh, about uh, 
how long somebody should be, how somebody should come into the church and who could come into the church and who couldn't. It became some legalistic issues on controlling the church and not allowing Jesus to be the one to be the sinner again. Remember, Jesus showed himself to John in the middle of the candlesticks because he is to be the center of the church and no one or nothing else or no actions or no values or no no uh, any kind of... Uh, doctrinal issues or no sort of format that you have for your service needs to be the center of the church. Jesus needs to be it and nothing or no one else should draw focus away from Jesus and him being the center of the church. That's his purpose. He showed himself the center of the church. So Jesus is telling the church of Ephesus that, that, that they had forgotten the love of Jesus that drives the true meaning of the gospel there in their church. And without the love of Jesus, without the zeal of Jesus, without the passion of Jesus for people's salvation, the church has lost its meaning and purpose and you're not functioning in the way that Jesus wants you to function. Look at verse five there. He says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and, and repent and do the first work. He's saying, remember the spiritual condition that you've fallen from. You used to have a really strong spiritual love for me and had a really good strong spiritual standing with me. I want you to remember that condition. Remember where you once were with me and repent. Go back to that and commit to the first works that you used to do. How you prayed and how you longed to be in conversation with me and how you read my word and how you loved and cared for me and for the people that I loved. That word first right there is Strong's G4253. It means the first in time, the first day of faith or, or the moment that you believed. And that word works right there is Strong's G2041. It, it's a word that means action and deeds that occupied your mind and, and the effort that you put forth to accomplish. And he says, remember these first works or else. He says, I, Jesus, will come. That word come means to make an appearance unto thee quickly. <clears throat> that word quickly is strong, G5035. That word quickly means without delay and by surprise. I, I'm going to come upon you quickly and, and make an appearance on you quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick. I'll remove thy church out of its place unless you repent. He's speaking to the angel. He's speaking to the star in his hand. He's saying, if you don't get this fixed in my church, I'll take the church away from you and send somebody here that will preach the way that I want it preached, and I'll, I'll make sure that they put me first in the church and make me center of the church, and if, and if they don't, I'll find somebody else. He's saying, put me in the middle of the church and make me the center of attention again or I'll remove you and put somebody in there that will do what I want them to do. Now look at verse six, he's saying, but this thou hast. He's saying, here's something that's good about you. So he's going back to praising him in a little bit. He says, I know that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he turns around in verse 7, he says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Everyone has ears, church. We all was made with two ears. He's not saying if you've got an ear on you, listen to me. He's saying right here, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And if you recognize my voice, lend me that ear. Listen to what I'm saying to you. To everybody that can hear me, to everybody that knows my voice, recognizes my words, I want you to listen to what I'm saying to you. And he goes on and says, to him that overcometh. That word overcometh is Strong's G3529. It means whoever gets the victory. 
He said, will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God? Let's look at that sentence right there because he says, will I give to eat of the tree of life? And that statement right there is a profound display of grace and we don't need to overlook it too fast because we'll miss a very important statement here. The word give, he says, will I give? The word give is the Greek word didomi. And uh, it means, it's Strong's G1325, it means to bestow a gift, to deliver or to supply something to you. The word uh, eat right there, he says, I'll give you to eat. <clears throat> that word is the Greek word phago. It's, G, it's Strong's G5315, it, it means to eat, it's mer- metaphorically speaking, it, it doesn't literally mean to eat, where Jesus said, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood, he wasn't saying walk up here and take a bite out of my forearm, He's. it was a metaphorical speaking, and that's what Strong's G5315 is saying, he says to partake of something, to consume something, take it into your mind, to receive it in yourself, that's what this word eat means, fago. It doesn't mean to physically put something in your mouth and chew on it. It says to take it in and receive it and and let it nourish you spiritually. It's it's a metaphorical word. And that word tree, the Greek word zulon, Strong's G3586, means wood, that which is made of wood. But more specifically, in this particular definition, it says a beam from which anyone is suspended across. So this word tree right here is a beam from which anyone is suspended and it means a cross. So Jesus is saying right here in that statement, to those of you who get the victory, I will make a way for you to partake of the grace that I alone provided for you when I was suspended or hanging on the cross. That gift that I have for you is the fact that I hung on that cross and died instead of you. In other words, he says, if you'll hold on to your first love for me and the gift of the cross is yours. I'll, I'll hand you everything that I paid for on the cross. So let's move on a little bit and I want you to give you just a little bit of information here about the, the uh, city Smyrna. Smyrna was the most persecuted church that was out there. The city's uh, history records them boasting and bragging about being a city that was dead and that came back to life. It was a a port city that had a wonderful booming economy. Ships would come in and out of there all the time and the world would trade right there in Smyrna. And so it was a beautiful port city that had a vast booming economy and at one point in time it totally lost its economy. It went bankrupt. It crashed and went under. And then it, uh, after it went under, they pulled things back together and over a little time, they revived it again and got the economy going again just as good or as better than it used to be. <clears throat> so uh, Smyrna had this boastful saying about itself, we were the city that used to be dead and we've came back to life again. So I want you to notice in verse eight how Jesus addresses Smyrna when he talks to Smyrna. He says, unto the angel, the pastor of the church of Smyrna, write these things, saith the first and the last, the one which was dead and is alive. In other words, Uh, you claim that you were dead and alive, but I'm the one who was dead. I'm the one that came back to life, not you. You think that your economy was what made you alive. I'm the one who can make you alive. I'm the one that was dead and came back to life. I'm the resurrected one that's talking to you. Look in verse nine, he says, I know your works. I know the tribulation you went through. I know your poverty. I know everything about the struggle in your economy, but you are rich. 
He's trying to tell them you're a rich city and you don't know it. But see what they're not looking at. This word rich right here is uh, plusios. It's Strong's G4155, plusios. And this word don't mean rich in finances. It means rich and abounding in Christian virtues and eternal possessions. The laying up your treasures in heaven. He, he's saying that I, I know the tribulation you went through in your economy, but you're rich in heaven. You've got all kinds of abounding eternal possessions in heaven. So pay attention to that. Concentrate on that. Don't be boasting about your city here on earth. You've got something with a whole lot more value in heaven that you need to be boasting about. And he goes on and says, I know the blasphemy too of them, them which say they're Jews and not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And that word blasphemy is Strong's G988. It means slandering speech used to injure another's good name. So Jesus says, I know about the slandering speech being used against you where these people that say they're Jews and they're not and they're slandering you, but they're actually the synagogue of Satan. <clears throat> and he's saying there, they're the synagogue of Satan, just like you're the temple of God. So they're allowing their body to be a vessel for Satan to operate through. So look here, the people in the church are allowing Satan to do his bidding through them while pretending to be Christians. Now look what Jesus is saying next in verse 10. Jesus said, don't fear none of these things which you're going to suffer. In other words, don't you're going to go through some things, but I don't want you to fear them. <clears throat> and, he, and he goes on and says, Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. And this word prison is a figurative word meaning condition. It don't actually mean throwing you into a prison. This word prison is Strong's G5438, Fuleke. It means, it's a figurative word, Satan will put some of your minds into a condition. It's a word that means condition. It's figuratively speaking. So this statement is saying the devil shall cast some of you into prison. He's saying Satan's going to put your minds into a condition that will cause your mind to be tempted. Tempted to do what? To get caught up into these people's deception that's in the middle of the church claiming to be Christians that are not. He's saying you'll be caught up in these people's deception of Satan as they pretend to be one of you. And the word tried is the Greek word pirazo, means to solicit to sin or to tempt or to go along with something. So Jesus is telling them, Satan's going to put your minds into a condition so that when he solicits you to sin, you will be tempted by this opportunity because it seems to be the right thing to do. Why? Because other people in the church are doing it too and they're pretending to be Christians and they're going to fool you because your mind gets into condition to trust them and you'll follow along with it. He says you're going to be tempted, you're going to be put in a condition to tempt and you're going to follow along with them because other people are doing it. Look at the next line. <clears throat> he says, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Now, don't get me wrong here. This is not something that literally means 10 days because God uses that word 10 days many times in the Bible. If you look in Numbers chapter 14, verse 22, Israel actually tested God 10 times while they were out in the desert. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 12, Daniel challenged the authorities to allow him and the other uh, Hebrew children to eat vegetables for 10 days. In Jeremiah chapter 42, verse 7, Jeremiah asked a question of God. He, he went to God and petitioned him and tried to get an answer out of him, and God waited 10 days to answer the question. 
So here in all of these verses, uh, this this word you shall have tribulation ten days. Ten is a number of a completion of time. It's a it's it's symbolizing the fullness of time in the Bible. So Jesus is telling Smyrna that in the fullness of time, because no man knows the day or the hour that I'm coming back, and my Father hasn't told me yet, so I'm not going to tell you. But he's saying, whatever the fullness of time is, you're going to go through some tribulation. And while you're here going through that tribulation, I need you to be faithful unto death. And if you will be faithful unto death, I will give thee a crown of life. In other words, I will reward you for finishing the race before you. I've always been faithful. I am faithful right now. I'll be faithful in the future that's that's coming before you. I have never not been faithful to you. I am faithful all the time. So hold on to the faith that you've got. I love the verse, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It says, let us hold fast our profession of faith without wavering because he is faithful that is promised. Jesus is faithful to us and he is going to remain faithful to us. And even though we're going to go through tribulation, Satan's going to try to put our minds into a condition to be tempted. But Jesus said, hold fast your profession of faith and I'll give you a crown of life because of it. Now look, Jesus reminds this church too, if you're my sheep, you'll know my voice, so hear me. In verse 11, he says, he that has an ear, let him hear. The same thing he said to the first church in in Ephesus. He says here to Smyrna, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. In other words, everybody that's following me recognizes me as their shepherd. Everybody who knows my voice, pay attention to what I'm saying to you because he that overcometh, he that gets the victory, shall not be hurt of the second death. And the second death is toward the end of Revelation. It's the the great white throne judgment where all the sinners will be resurrected from the grave and killed again. All non-believers will be sentenced to the eternal hell, fire, and brimstone. Now we want to go on to verse 12 and he starts talking to the church of Pergamos. He says, unto the angel, the pastor of the church in Pergamos, write these things, saith he which has the sharp sword with two edges. Now, what do you think's going on in this city? Because Jesus opens up this statement saying that I've got a sharp sword in my mouth that I'm bringing a sword with two edges. You know, he's talking pretty stern right here to this one because the Greek word, The Greek root of Pergamos or Pergamon means married. This city was married to false gods. This this city is a place where all the Greek gods had a statue built to their honor. It was riddled with statues of false gods everywhere. And it was everywhere you turned around, there was false gods being worshipped continually. So Jesus addressed this church saying, listen to the one that's got a sharp sword with two edges. So what do you think Jesus is wanting to do when he walks into this city? It's a place to where even at the center of the city, they have plastered monuments to false gods everywhere and even built a great altar right there in the middle of the city. And this is why Jesus calls the place the seat of Satan. He says in verse 13, he says, I know thy works. Listen as he speaks to the pastor to address the church. He says, I know thy works and where you dwell. I know you're dwelling in the seat of Satan, even where Satan's seat is. And you still hold fast to my name and has not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. 
Jesus mentions Antipas as a faithful martyr because the Roman Emperor Nero buried him alive for casting out demons that the local population in Pergamos was worshiping. Jesus uh, saw that he was casting out all these demons and and, uh, Antipas didn't want these demons around, the demonic worship around it. And so while he's casting demons out, Nero says, I'm tired of this guy. This guy needs to go. So Antipas was martyred where Satan's dwelling place was, in the center of the city, on the pagan altar. He was burned alive. Nero burned him alive for casting these demons out. And Jesus goes on in verse 14. He says, But I do have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. <clears throat> Balaam was a false god. He, he told King Balak, this was the, the king of Moab. This is the city founded from the offspring of incest between Lot and his daughter, the place where Naomi in the book of Ruth lost her husband and her sons. This is a bad place to be. Balaam, that false god, told King Balak how to get the Israelites to commit sin by enticing them to copulate with foreign women. As he talked about that, if you read the book of Jeremiah, you read about how they had worshipped the whole host of heaven and talked about the queen of heaven and worshipped their idols and committed fornication and and sacrificed their babies to Ishtar and, and all these things. The Israelites fell into this transgression due to these traps and God unleashed a deadly plague upon them as a result of them doing this thing. And that's found in Numbers chapter 31 verse 16. So let's read that. Numbers chapter 1 verse, or Numbers chapter 31 verse 16. It says, Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among among the congregation of the Lord. God had raised up a standard against them and shut them down for what they was doing and put a plague on them and it, it killed off a whole lot of them because of it. So listen, Jesus is saying to the church of Pergamos, there's still some folks in your church right now. There's folks in my church right there in Pergamos that are partaking of this evil act, these abominable practices, and I want it stopped. So look at verse 15. He says, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I, Jesus, hate. The Nicolaitans, they lived a life just totally full of indulgence of whatever sin they could come up. Their, their, their thought processes, their desires, their passions was just totally unrestrained. They would do anything and everything that cost their mind that would cause them to have any kind of pleasure. And Jesus was saying to the church, you have false doctrines from Satan within the church. You have people who practice things that I hate in my church. And these doctrines and practices are leading my true followers away from my church teaching. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 16. He opens that verse up with repent or else. And he repeats something he said in the first one. He says, I will come unto thee quickly. I'm going to make an appearance and catch you by surprise and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Listen to what he said. He said he's not going to fight against the church. He said I'm going to fight against those folks practicing these evil things in my church with my word, the, the sword of my mouth. This word fight is a Greek word, polemio, uh, 
Poemhio, and it's that means make war. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to make war against those people in my church that are leading my true disciples away from my doctrine. I'm going to attack them with my word. So why does he say that he's going to attack with his word? Well, one of the main things is because his word is the only thing ever mentioned in the Bible that will not fail. His word always goes forth and accomplishes everything that it's sent out to do. It never comes back void. So he's sending his word in to do the job. He's going to attack those people with the word of God and they will be judged against the word of God for the actions that they're carrying out. Get this now. Jesus said, I'm going to attack this mess in my church with my word. It's his church and he's going to get it back. He's determined to get it back. Verse 17, get this first line. He says, he that hath an ear, listen to what he's saying. He said it again to this church. He says, he that has an ear, if you recognize my voice, you better pay attention to what I'm saying because I'm going to attack the wrongdoing in my church. I'm going to attack the wrong spirits in my church and to him that overcomes, he who gets the victory, I will give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth, saving he that receive it. Now, he that overcomes, I'll give to eat of the hidden manna. We know who the hidden manna is. If you're Jesus Christ's disciple, you know the hidden manna is Jesus Christ. It's not hidden to you anymore. It's hidden to the people that don't know him. But look at this word white stone. That, That word stone is the Greek word Pasephos in its Strong's G5586 and it means a a voice or a voice in stone, a, a final voice, a hard verdict of acquittal spoken as if a vote from a jury. And the word name there, he says, I'll write in the stone a new name. The word name there is the Greek word on oma. Strong's G3686, meaning the cause or reason that this name on this account, a literal name of authority and a surname. And that word knoweth, he says that no man will knoweth except the one that receives it, is the Greek word uh, genosko. Strong's G1097, it means to become acquainted with intimately, to get a knowledge of or perceive. So listen to what Jesus is saying up here. I'll read that again. To him that overcometh, to him that gets the victory, will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth, saving he that receives it. So what what Jesus is saying, to him that overcometh, my judgment of you will be a verdict of total acquittal from all wrongdoing. And this verdict will come with a will come with a surname proving your kinship to me and this surname also comes with my authority and it will be a name uniquely provided just for you personally. That's what he's saying to you right there. So he's going to give you a total vote of acquittal, a total verdict. The gavel, the great judge is going to drop his gavel and give you a total acquittal from all sin, all wrongdoing, and give you a surname that is written in stone that can't be taken away from you, proving that your kinship to him is built on his authority and it will come with all of his authority. You will walk in his authority and walk with his name attached to you and it will be a name uniquely provided just for you because of his personal relationship with you. 
Now that gets us through verse 17 and I'm running out of time and we will finish part two on this uh, Revelation chapter two in our next episode. So God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. Come back and join us on the next episode as we pick up on on, uh, verse number 18.